Shalom, and thank you for listening to sermons from Tikvat Israel, a Messianic synagogue in the heart of Richmond, Virginia. Listening to the podcast is great, but if you want the full experience, please join us on Zoom or in the building Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for our worship service. For the Zoom link, please contact tikvatdirector at gmail.com or contact us on our website, tikvatisrael.com. There you can also support the ministry, learn more about Messianic Judaism, and find helpful resources. May Hashem bless you through the hearing of his word. Uh, shalom, everyone. Shabbat shalom. Uh, it is good to almost be there. Uh, I wish I was there. I was planning on being there. Um, but my back went out, and I can't drive that far. I can't move that much. Um, your, your community has always been special uh, to me and to my family. In, 19, uh, 19, in 2017, uh, we had Hurricane Irma in Florida, and my wife, son, and myself, and three dogs had to be, become refugees ourselves, and you guys took us in. So we are always grateful for your congregation. It's a very special place for us. Um, as uh, Eric said, Hefra, which means friendship, uh, has been doing this ministry for almost 30 years, 29 and a half years. Uh, and uh, we have been uh, doing a number of things over the years, and we've had a change as Ukraine changed and as the former Soviet Union changed. Uh, for the past number of years, uh, quite a long time actually, we've been operating soup kitchens for elderly Jews, and uh, which included Holocaust survivors, and the Jewish poor, that includes single mothers with children and people who could not afford to eat. Uh, but it was mostly elderly Jewish people. And we were operating 35 soup kitchens in Ukraine, feeding 1,400 people a day. And I would go there a number of times a year, and we would visit um, with people who went to the soup kitchens. And it was something I felt really good about. But to be honest, I always thought people went, eh, it's a soup kitchen thing. Uh, and they didn't think a great deal about it, because probably that's how I would have felt myself a number of years before that. But it was actually very, very much a blessing for us and for the people that we were helping. Uh, and then uh, things changed with COVID. When COVID came about, uh, the government closed our soup kitchens. So we started making food parcels and bringing them uh, to people. All the people who were coming to our soup kitchens were visited and received food parcels from us. The problem with food parcels is they cost more than the soup kitchens and the people get less for more money. 
So for a cost-effective thing, the soup kitchens were the way to go. And then when they let us reopen, we reopened the soup kitchens. And things were working out very well until uh, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine. One of the most difficult things for me, um, actually two difficult things, were first watching as they reported the cities that were being bombed and shelled. Every one of those cities were cities where we had soup kitchens all over Ukraine. Uh, and it was painful to see because we knew these people. Uh, the, the second most painful thing was listening to the news reporters mispronounce all the Ukrainian cities, but that's another thing. Uh, how do you get ready for a, a, a war and refugee situation? Uh, we were watching the news, uh, bracing ourselves, not knowing what was going to happen. And I was on the phone several times a day with my coworkers in Poland because Hevra has been working out of Poland into Ukraine. Uh, when this started, our workers, it's like they turned on a dime. We stopped our soup kit, not stopped, but we uh, lessened our soup kitchen works because of the bombing. And we started bringing humanitarian aid to the Polish border because that's where literally over 2 million refugees came. Uh, one of the main cities for that is a city called Peshemish, uh, which is very meaningful to me because honestly, Peshemish is the city where the Schiffman family comes from. So I uh, had a little bit of pride with it, but uh, we were bringing food. Uh, we talked with uh, workers in uh, Holland uh, where we had clothing uh, and medicine and beds and cots, and we shipped them to, uh, to, to Poland. Um, I got a call from uh, our coworker and partner in, in Holland, uh, Max, and he said, we need $10,000. Uh, we, we sent it, we wired the $10,000. A few days later, I got a call. You may have seen this on the news reports. There was a rabbi in Odessa and another rabbi in, uh, in Kiev who had a total of 250 Jewish orphans that they were trying to get out of harm's way. And they needed funds to help with this. Uh, I asked how much, and they said $10,000. It was like it was the magic number. Uh, we sent $10,000, uh, and all of those orphans were taken out of, out of uh, Ukraine into Moldova and then to Israel. And we helped them. Uh, our name was not on the list of where, of where the money came from because we work with Jewish organizations uh, who need help. Uh, we don't need to have our name on everything. 
the important thing is we're helping and we're doing something. We sent $20,000 to uh, France because we got 16 uh, trucks, uh, filled semi-trucks filled with food, humanitarian aid, and we shipped it to the Pol Polish border. And we also brought it into Ukraine because our workers were watching at the Polish border, at the Polish border, there are long lines of cars. Uh, you could sit literally for 24 to 36 hours until you get through uh, because they're checking everything. We have Red Cross credentials. So it took us an hour to get through. It's always been that way when we travel. Uh, but we made it inside the border. We gave food to the uh, border guards because they didn't have food either. And then we went on the lines where the people were with cars and some were walking and we distributed food because the people were starving and they were cold because it was below zero. And our workers were there uh, doing this. And I was amazed how quickly we were able to do it. Uh, then we started bringing food into Lvov, or it might have been pronounced Lviv on TV. Uh, Lvov was, uh, is a city in the western part of Ukraine and uh, has a pretty sizable Jewish population. We were bringing food, and then when the trucks were empty, we filled them up with people and brought them over the border into Poland. I had a lot of people ask me, why don't you just, why doesn't everybody just go to Israel? It's very simple. Uh, people don't want to go to Israel now. Some do, but most of them don't because these are mostly women and children and elderly and their sons and their husbands are fighting in Ukraine and they don't want to split their families up. They, they might go into Poland, but they don't want to go too far. And you can't blame them for that. Uh, so in March, I spoke, I spoke with my coworker, Eric, and I kept saying, do you want me to come? Because I felt I'm sitting here in Florida and all this is happening. And I have been working there for all this time. I shouldn't be sitting here. Finally, he said, yeah, we want you to come. So um, I bought a ticket and I went to Poland uh, and then from Warsaw, we drove to Peshemish, which is on the border. Uh, we uh, saw the, the areas where we had warehouse materials. We, they, we saw uh, the facilities that were made available. There were old shopping malls uh, that were uh, not American style, Polish style shopping malls. Uh, they had 1,500 cots set out for people. Uh, they had uh, various tents from World Kitchens providing free food for people. I met with people from Jewish organizations. I met with people from uh, Japan, uh, from Germany, from England, who were all involved in humanitarian efforts. And we were involved with them. It was like a brotherhood. The important thing was seeing what they were doing they provided shelter for people. They had a separate area for, for dogs because people brought their dogs. 
So they had like a kennel area. Uh, they had like daycare for children and everything was free for them. They signed up and uh, with uh, the government and as refugees, they were given some papers and they were permitted to travel anywhere in Europe free. So they could go to relatives in other countries or just to get out of the area. And the most striking thing about the trip was seeing the look of total despair on people's faces. They, they didn't know where they were going. They couldn't make plans. They were stranded, separated from their husbands and fathers and sons, and they didn't know what to do. So they were just there existing. And it was heartbreaking, but we were doing what we could. And we arranged for tons of food to be brought over. Some stayed in Poland and some went over the borders. A lot went into the borders of Ukraine. I kept talking to my, uh, well, I went with my coworker, Eric, and this is a short video. Uh, Eric and I have been traveling together for 30 years. Uh, he's from Krakow, Poland. Uh, he's We've been traveling a very long time and we're like brothers and we bicker and things. He uh, took me from uh, Bershemish uh, into uh, southern Ukraine on the, in the west to a city called Ushkarad. Ushkarad is in the Carpathian Mountains. It's where uh, Hungary and Slovakia and Poland meet with Ukraine. So it's like a, a natural point for people to flee to. But a lot of people were staying on the Ukraine side because it, uh, they, again, they don't want to be that far from their loved ones. They don't want to separate their families. Uh, so we were providing food uh, and we, we were providing places for people to stay. Uh, we sent, uh, I sent $5,000 that was supposed to be used towards some food, but they, they said, we didn't use it for food. I said, what do you use it for? They said, we built showers because the people needed showers and it's a human need, no problem. Uh, we had to send more money then, which we did. Uh, we have sent uh, a lot of money, uh, but the thing that's important is we could help because people sent us money. People trusted our work and people uh, have been faithful in supporting us. So we had the money. We, we don't stockpile money. We, we wait until there's a need. And this has been the greatest need since we started. And when people ask us, we send it. And we're able to send it because people give. If people didn't give, uh, we wouldn't have had the money and we couldn't help people. The last thing I want to tell people is, I'm sorry, we have nothing to give you. Uh, while I was there, by the way, Ushkarad is a city normally of 60,000 people, and they took in 120,000 refugees. There were uh, refugee centers we went through. They had floor to ceiling, clothing. Uh, and food, and people could come and take what they needed. 
uh, and it was it felt good to help them. Uh, the only souvenir I got was while I was there, I got COVID, uh, which wasn't very pleasant. Um, but miraculously, they let me go home uh, after several more days. Uh, the important thing is we got to be doing this work. After I went home, my coworker, Eric, called me and said, we went into Zaporosha, which is central Ukraine. I said, good, because we had a big soup kitchen there. Uh, and they were doing work, they were helping. A lot of the people that we were helping when he went to these places, he went further east. In fact, he told me I'm three kilometers, it's about a mile and a half, two miles from the shelling. Uh, when we, they filled up vans with food and there were, uh, they would stop and nobody would be around. So they started calling to people and saying, we're here to help, we have food. And people started coming out of basements uh, from bombed out apartment buildings. And uh, they came and we gave them food. If you look on the Facebook webpage for Cover USA, the Facebook page, uh, we have updates and pictures and all of that. Uh, but an interesting thing, uh, many years ago when I started with Heva, somebody gave me a verse and it didn't make a lot of sense at the time although you could apply it. But I was reminded of it during this time of crisis and it makes all the sense in the world. Proverbs 24, 11 and 12 says, deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, surely we did not know this, does not he who weighs the hearts consider it? <clears throat> he who keeps your soul, does he not know it? And will he not render to each man according to his deeds? We are living in a historic time I was first drawn to this work because when I was in high school and I first really learned about the Holocaust, I felt I wanted to do something, but I couldn't. I didn't live at that time. But I live in this time. And just now, there are a lot of people, Jews and non-Jews, who are in desperate need. And we can do something to help them. And we are grateful for the help that your congregation has given. You've been very generous over the years, and we appreciate it. Um, it makes doing this work possible. And we appreciate your prayers. We appreciate your giving. Uh, I want to show you uh, a video that my coworker Eric made um, while he was on a recent trip. Eric speaks Russian. Polish and English. I believe it's in English. So if we could show that for a moment. Okay, I, I was told we're getting there. So when I met, okay, here we go. Come and who we are in Hulaipola. This is the East Ukraine, the uh, eight kilometers from Zaporozhye. If you can see the situation is very bad. and. Uh, Around me here, it's uh, this night of, of day before was the attacks by, 
by bombs and uh, everything is fresh. So we are here, we came here to be with people and also to bring humanitarian aid. And this is the situation which is not easy. We have here also people who come and who are receiving for us food, the packages and, food and uh, supplies and also medicine. Uh, today is uh, raining, but the people are uh, scurry and sitting at home. As you understand, the situation is not easy and dangerous. Today we came and it's not bombing again. Thanks God, we have lucky and uh, but those people should they are living every day so this is the, the blocks without windows you can see this all windows are falling down glasses so destructions every day this is the daily life of these people here so please help the situation is not easy Eric has been a faithful partner. Um, when we started working, he was single. He didn't speak a word of English. He married one of my co-workers, uh, his wife, Marilla. And uh, he started traveling with me. And he learned English from our art talking and arguing together. And uh, then we started traveling alone together when his English was good enough for us to communicate. Um, but he's been going into uh, the most dangerous areas. And you saw the van and the people lining up because that's how we distribute food. But as I said, we brought tons of food in. Most of our costs, the food doesn't cost us money. It's the shipping. The cost of uh, fuel, you know, we're complaining about $5 a gallon. Uh, they're paying over $2 a liter, which is a fourth of a gallon. Uh, so uh, it, it costs a lot to ship the food, but it's a life and death matter. So we spend it. Um, I believe that God caused Kevra, called us into being. For, for this time, it is a privilege and a blessing. And I think part of our work has always been to give people a way to help. And this is what we offer people, a way to help and make a difference. Uh, we are grateful for all the help that has been given. We are grateful for your prayers, not only for the people we're helping, but for our co-workers, uh, for their safety. Um, Eric's whole family, by the way, got involved. His brothers and his son, uh, they have all been working with us do, doing, uh, doing this. Um, we are able to continue our work because of people's faithfulness. And again, we are thankful. So thank you all. And uh, Shabbat Shalom.